At the time this episode was recorded, Evelyn was almost seven months old. Those seven months in some ways feel like seven seconds. She is now speaking. Even if she is the only person fluent in her own little language. It has been a seven-month journey on an evolutionary path billions of people have been down before. But in my eyes, Evelyn's trip so far has surely been the most astounding in human history. Are you pleased to see Daddy? Are you pleased to see Daddy? Are you pleased to see Daddy? In a way, we have been communicating from the day she was born. What started as an occasional smile has developed into the grins that are the highlight of my day. And the laugh from an audience of one that elevates my dad humour to comedy of the highest quality. That she will be actually talking soon, crikey, even walking, terrifies me. A reminder that soon it'll be the job of my wife and I to ensure this little girl is prepared for the world she will occupy as an adult. As a father, what example should I set? What do babies say? What do babies want? What do babies do? This the baby life. This is the Man Child Podcast, an account of my dive into dadhood. From the protests, don't cry for me, Evan Rose, to the nervous negotiations. Okay, should we agree to talk about it? Okay, I'll give you the rattler. The unexpected insights. Oh no! Oh, catch it off! And the moments that make it all worth it. Smile. On my unlit first path through the fog of fatherhood. Man Child brought to you by News Hub and Rascal and Friends. I have already introduced you to my dad and his unique sense of humour. You had your own little developmental stream, which was quite different. And you developed your own language which was different from the rest of theirs. Even in my 30s, I still get a little awkward telling my dad I love him. Dad, I love you. <laughs> what, what's that meant to me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that maybe I don't say it often enough. Oh, yes, OK. <laughs> well, I said that when uh, my father died, my brother. He said, whose line is that anyway? <laughs> my dad is not overly expressive with his emotions. Something I've always suspected was because his own father was not the warmest man to his kids. How would you describe your dad? My dad was a, a Victorian. He was um, in the Victorian mode of father. What does that mean for those who want to know that? Children should be seen but not heard. Wives' are first duty is to cook their husband's dinner and keep the house clean. Discipline is to be enforced. Emotion is not to be shown. You know, that was the sort of person he was. So in terms of his ex- the example he said of how to be a father, was it, was it one you followed? I tried not to. <laughs> in some ways, no. I mean, I tried to be slightly more positive. 
towards my kids. I tried to play with them more than he would have because he basically had his work and he came home and he sat down and he had his snooze after tea and then he would call you in if he wanted to talk to you about something into the drawing room. Then he would count his money from his pocket, uh, literally, and then he would write his diary and then he would go to bed. That is another aspect of Victorian fatherhood, strict discipline and for themselves and routine. Now, don't get me wrong. I always knew my father loved us, even more than his jazz collection, which is saying something. Even without saying it much, it was clear from what he did for his family, the long hours he worked as a doctor to provide for us, the countless Saturday mornings he spent on the sidelines of rain-swept soccer fields watching me chase a ball around. You obviously spent a lot of time on the sidelines watching me play football. Yeah. Can you recall some of the things you would yell at me from the sideline? No, I hardly ever yelled at you. No, but you would say something. Oh, I would say... I mean in a positive sense. Oh, yes, yes. I don't remember being negative no. much. I used to yell clichés about, you know, good ball. Um, I, I mean, I, do, I don't remember. Without asking, helping me move from flat to flat. Of course, I wasn't always the dutiful son. Do you remember that time when I was 17 and my friends and I thought it would be hilarious to smash empty wine bottles against a concrete wall on the front of our house? I think I was sent looking for you by your mother, who was alarmed about the fact that you disappeared. And I was not as quite as alarmed as she was. <laughs> Do you remember you made us collect all the bits of glass up from... Uh, well, I'm not surprised, but I don't remember that. We were very hungover. I would do that again, of course. <laughs> Who the hell else was going to do it? <laughs> but I know my dad will always be at the end of the phone if I need him. That is, when he's finally worked out how to answer his iPhone. Of course, every person's relationship with their father is unique to them. Each dad setting their own example. Rascal and Friends Premium Nappies and Pants are changing the nappy game. They're known for keeping poonamis contained with features like a 3D core for an increased absorbency area, double leak guards and a high back waistband. Available in their cute signature print in all sizes from newborn to junior and new to the Rascal collection, sensitive wipes made with 99 plus percent natural ingredients. Perfect for cleaning up little and not so little Rascal messes. Get your Rascal and Friends from New World Pack and Save in Foursquare Nationwide. The next logical person for me to speak to was Warwick, my wife's father. What I wasn't prepared for was the um, immense feeling of of love that overwhelms you when you see this tiny baby coming into the world. It's a feeling that you haven't had before, obviously, and it was was very, very powerful for me as a first-time father. Warwick grew up in New Zealand on the other side of the world to my own dad, who was raised in Ireland. But their relationships with their own fathers had similarities. There were some things... Uh, in my childhood that I didn't want to repeat with my children. Experiences that perhaps were common for a time when the example father set was a world apart from what it is today. I became aware later as an adult that my father um, liked to be in charge of of us children and to develop us in in the image of what he wanted us to be. He had aspirations for each of us, so he was um, quite insistent on us us reaching the goals that he had for us. And I think uh, really... You've got to do better than that and search for the uh, the strengths and aspirations that the children have. Also, um, in my upbringing, and I think it was quite common, 
we were put down and criticised quite heavily for our, uh, well, they weren't even faults sometimes, just what were perceived as, as weaknesses or was almost a form of form of bullying. There was a lot of mocking and uh, ridiculing of, of children, and I don't like that at all. I hate that it is a form of bullying, and I have always resolved not to do that with my children. Despite this, Warwick chose his own approach to the most important role he ever had, being a parent. Oh, I, I think the most important thing for, to be a good father is is really to be always there and uh, have your children always knowing that they can uh, trust you and depend on you and that you know you, you care about them, uh, just to be um, a positive supporting force behind your children seems to me to be the, the one of the most important things to to enable the children to grow to, to reach their full potential. Listening to Warwick reflect back over the decades he's had as a father and now grandfather, I'm reminded that the moments I enjoy with Evelyn here and now are the ones fathers cherish forever. When your daughter's little, you just enjoy seeing them growing and changing every day and the little triumphs and successes they have. And then, then they get a bit older and they get into things. And in our case, it was perhaps performance. Uh, seeing them have success at uh, things they've chosen to, to try and do well in. You get a tremendous amount of uh, pleasure out of that. One of the tremendous satisfactions that uh, I've been fortunate to have three times is, is uh, watching my children go across the stage to graduate from university. You know, that's a, that's a tremendous satisfaction. And seeing them do well in their jobs and uh, things like marriage, um, see them find good partners, that's, that's a, a, a great satisfaction. The example Warwick set is clear in the lives his children have gone on to have. Another good example comes from an interview with a dad I will never forget. His name is Cliff Robinson. So how long have you basically been a, a dad for now? Uh, 49 years. 49 years? Yeah, the mother walked out on the 15th of June, 1970. Wow. You don't forget those things. No. Yeah, I was a steel worker at the time, and uh, we were living in, in Green Bay. At oh, Kittering. yeah. We used to work shift work, and I was on the afternoon shift. Yeah. And we came, uh, I came home at 11 o'clock or whatever, and I went to bed, and in the morning she woke me up and she said, I'm going, and I thought she was going down to the shop. And I sort of, you know, was a bit hazy, and then I woke up and she'd gone. And uh, Marita was crying and Johnny was in the cot. Cliff's daughter Marita was only three years old, and his son Johnny just eight months. Both children were born with a condition called microcephaly. 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 Micro equals small and cephaly equals brain. When you know small. when the baby's born, they do a few tests. Mm. One of the tests is to measure your head. And it should be 14 inches in circumference, mm. and theirs was only 11. Right. The brain's been reduced by the structure of the head. Cliff says the prospect of caring for her two children with intellectual disabilities was just too much for their mother. But when Johnny came, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, she just wouldn't have a bar and She wouldn't even hold him. She took pills to take away her breast milk. The moment his wife walked out of the front door never to return was the moment his life changed forever. When she walked out, I was going to, you know, one day you've got a job, you've got a wife, you've got Mm. two kids. The next day, it it, it all just fell apart. There was nowhere for Marita and John to go. There's no DPB, 1970, 
15th of June 1970, there's no GBV. That never come to 1974. And I thought, what, what can I do? I can't work and I can't look after them. You know? An eight-month-old child. I rang a number of institutions. Nobody could, no, nobody could take him. Marita went to an IHC home in, in uh, North Shore. And Johnny went into, uh, he went back to the Home of Compassion in Ponsonby for a few mm. weeks till he got sorted. And I was drinking big time then. Mm. I, don't, I haven't touched it for 40 odd years. And uh, I was drinking big time and I was getting depressed. And I had it all work out that I was going to get a ship and I was going to jump ship in South America and have a new life. I was going to be a... a I don't know what I was going to do, but I was going to jump ship in Rio. Wow! You know, as a seaman, you know, you know, I, I, you know the... I knew how the world works. You know, he was left with a stark choice: he could choose to leave Marita and John and start a new life as his wife had, or he could choose to stay and be a father. In the end, this monumental decision in the lives of three people would be determined. In a single moment. Marita went into this IHC place and they wouldn't let me see her for a couple of months because it might upset her. Anyway, the the two months came up and I went to get her and she came running towards me and she's in three and a half, real little cutie, and she jumped on dad, dad, dad. And was that when you decided into the long haul? Yes. Almost half a century later, Cliff is in his early 80s and still a full-time dad and carer to John and Marita, who are now 48 and 51 years of age, respectively. Marita, what's the best thing about your dad? My dad's good. <laughs> he get me and nice food, don't it? Yeah, nice food. And take your own trips. And some trips now. Where did we go last year? Israel. Israel. And Jordan. And Jordan. It? And Jordan. Who did we see in Rome once? Pope. The Pope himself. Yeah, he's got a photo there. Oh, you haven't got the proof of it. What about you, Johnny? Your dad's a pretty impressive man. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. your shades. Where Good. do you get them from, John? Where do you get them from? My wife says I've got... She limits my time at the $2 shop because I come home with truck loads of things <laughs> that I don't need. In your circumstances as a full-time dad, mm-hmm. has that meant you've been able to hold down you know, a, a job or has Never. it been full-time? Never. Been on the Benny the whole time. Well, you, you couldn't, you know. I mean, you can't leave disabled people on their own. You right. can't get people to look after them. Yeah. The first casualty of handicapped children is friends and relatives. Incredibly, Cliff's choice to be there for his kids has attracted scorn from some. I had poison pen letters from people, you know, telling them to put my kids in institutions and get off my ass and cost the taxpayer money and get an honest job. And... You've had letters like that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're kidding. I'm not. Oh, you, you, can, you can get some bitter people, you know, really bitter people. You know? But through it all, Cliff has never given up on Johnny and Marita. He was instrumental in forcing the government in 2013 to start providing financial support for the endless work that parents like him of adults with disabilities provide. But then for Cliff, being dad has never been a job. It is his life's Purpose. What do you think being a good father is all about? I know that's a big question, but is there something that springs to well, mind? I think loving your children. That's the most important. Sometimes your, your love can be tested somewhat. 
you're just going to love them the best way you can. Yeah. And, and try and give them a full and stimulating life. And put simply, that is Cliff's example. And you've obviously had to teach your kids, like any father, mm. a lot of things. Is there anything that they've taught you? Oh, yes. Contentment. Being honest, driving away from my interview with Cliff, as he stood there waving me off in his driveway with Johnny and Marita, where they have always been, by his side, I was left thinking, it's not often you see up close how strong a human bond can be. Unbreakable, unconditional, unbelievable, until you meet people like Cliff, Marita and Johnny. At the other end of their journey home was my wife and Evelyn. Arriving home to them is my favourite time of the day. So do I know what example I will set for Evelyn? Well, reflecting back on the perilous parenting podcast pathway I've been on, I reckon it is this. Just be there. Always. Like my wife and I were for her. From the first moment. Oh, there she is! <laughs> the sweet moments. You gonna smile for a minute? You gonna smile? And the moments still to come for this man. Spellbound. Spellbound, Evelyn. And child. What the baby wants. What the baby do. This the baby life. Man Child was brought to you by News Hub and Rascal and Friends. Written by me, Mike Wesley-Smith. Produced by Maggie Wicks. With audio engineering by Phil Yule. Go to newshub.co.nz forward slash podcasts for more.